about the love of God for a few moments. And I don't know about you, but given the um, sermons that have been on deck recently, I was greatly relieved to be able to talk about the love of God for a few minutes tonight. We've been talking about wrath and sin a lot in the morning. And to have a refreshing time to step back and think about how deep and high and wide the love of our God is, that was very refreshing for me to study. And I hope I can extend that to y'all this, this evening. Uh, think of a time in your life when you looked up and saw the stars and they were brighter than you had ever seen them. Do you remember a time where you were? Um, where were you? That's right. Yeah, that when there was no other light, that was where you were. I, I remember as a college student, I took Astronomy 101 at Florida State University. And a part of astronomy was the lab that we had to take. And that lab was a fun lab because we got to go outside and use telescopes to look at various stars and planets and the moon. Uh, but Tallahassee uh, has a lot of lights. Um, you know, I don't know whether you like Tallahassee or not. I know some of you have mixed opinions about the city, but I like the city. It's very vibrant. You know, you have the, the government stuff, and you also have two big universities there. Very lively, lots of light. But one thing about Tallahassee is you don't have to go very far outside of it to get to nothing. Uh, it is in the middle of nowhere. And so just to the northwest of Tallahassee is a, a, a park called Lake Jackson Park. It's on a huge lake with docks. And there it is pitch black out there at night. And that's where we would go for our astronomy labs. And uh, I remember seeing even better than I had seen growing up in the country south here of Mulberry. I saw more stars than I ever remember seeing. Shooting stars. And you could even on one night catch some of the Milky Way. That milkiness uh, kind of swirling through the sky. It was beautiful. And, and on that night also through the telescope I saw Saturn with its rings. It was great. Uh, the point being, if you're going to see the brightness of a light, it's usually best set within the context of what's dark, what's not very bright. And so actually, the fact that we went last week from the wrath of God, which is always true, by the way, nothing that I'm saying tonight undoes the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the wrath of God, and it never changes. God is always opposed to sin. And yet, there's a reason why we're moving from wrath to love, because in the Bible, you can't fully get a grip on how great the love of God is unless you understand how much he is opposed to sin. Because the Bible tells you this, not only does God love the love, lovable, not only does God love those who deserve it or earn it, God goes this far. He loves those who don't deserve it. In fact, he loves those who deserve the opposite of love, who deserve wrath. And that's what these verses are about. Uh, John is a great uh, writer of the New Testament. He wrote a gospel. He wrote the book of Revelation. And he wrote three letters. And as one old uh, commentator said, John is here in these verses singing his old song. Uh, meaning this is a theme that John likes to talk about. He picked it up from Jesus. God is love and therefore those who know God learn how to love like God loves. That was John's big thing. If you had been in John's church in Ephesus, you probably would have heard more sermons about love than you wanted to hear because he was constantly coming back to this theme. Uh, it's so important because, after all, the scripture tells us it's love that characterizes God so thoroughly that the scripture actually says God is love. 
Now, this is a really hard Bible trivia question. But what other words does it use to say God is blank besides love? There's only a few of them in the Bible. Do you know what they might be? There's only a few. And it's okay if you're stumped because this is a hard question. There's only a few. Okay. Yes, but it doesn't say God is faithfulness. Do you see the difference? Right? That would be like saying God is loving to say God is faithful. But God is love is a little bit different than saying, you see what I mean? There's only a few words like this. God is light. Light. That's another one of John's favorites. God is a consuming fire. Any others? Truth? Yep, God is truth. That's right. God is truth. That's it. And love. Only four. And so these are, you might think, these are four things that God wants us to think about very vividly every time we, we consider him and every time we conceive of what he's like. In fact, if you'll look at the verses that we read, verses 7 to 13, they're actually set up in a Trinitarian pattern. Just to introduce you to the really personal nature of God's love or what it means that God is love. And so in verses 7 through 8, it's really focused on God the Father. And, and the key word there is the word from. Love comes from God as the Father of all, as the, as the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and then in verses 9 uh, through 11, the focus is on Christ the Son, God the Son. And the key word there is the word through or in. The word comes in Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ. And then finally in verses 12 to 13, the focus is on the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, and there the key word is the word by. The love of God gets into our lives by the Holy Spirit. So love comes from the Father, in and through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that tonight. And I think it'll be a little bit of a, a feast to the soul uh, if we're open to it. So first of all, the love from God the Father in verses 7 and 8. It says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is, there's that word, from God. Love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Uh, the idea here is that God is the fountain. God is the source of all love. If, if there is love in the world, if there's love in any person uh, or anything, that love must have come from God because God has in himself all the riches and storehouses of love contained. Uh, I, I imagine in this point the sun, right? The sun is this big ball of fire in the sky. It's burning all the time. And when it's up during the day, it's always spreading its light and heat everywhere. Okay? Even if you're in the shade, the sunlight reaches you. It reaches you less. Doesn't it? It, doesn't, it doesn't beat on you or it's not so bright. But you still, you have a little bit of light because the sun is there. Uh, even if it's in the winter and you're, and you're in the shade and you don't feel much of the heat, yet imagine what it would be like without the sun. You, you, we would immediately freeze up and die, right? So the heat is reaching you at all times. In fact, 
the heat of the sun, even when it's not up, even when it's on the other side of the earth, is still reaching us from the other side of the earth. And the light is still reaching us because it's bouncing off the moon and continuing to warm the whole planet. This is the way John seems to be describing the love of God. God is like a sun of love, a burning, blazing ball of love that is constantly sending out its rays both in light and in heat and in influence, in life-giving power to all the world. And so when John says in verse 7, we need to love one another, brothers, or beloved ones, we need to really work on, as Christians, being good at loving each other. He says, don't forget, if we're going to love one another, we've got to derive that love from God. It comes from him. God is love, he says in verse 8. Plain and simple. It's not that God has love. It's not that God just shows love. It's not that God shares love. God is love. Isn't that amazing to think about? That the very idea of love itself would have no meaning and no existence if this was not true of God and if this God didn't actually exist. And so as Christians, we are... We're to look at love as a communicable attribute of God. Now, somebody might remember what that word means. We talked about it a few weeks ago. What's a communicable attribute of God? He shares it, like a communicable disease, right? Communicable disease gets shared, except for this is a good disease. God's got these these great attributes that are always being shared uh, like a good disease, like a good infection. And his love is like that. It's like a good infection, that he is pouring out and sharing with all of his creation, but especially with his people. It tells us in verse 7 that because all love is from God, if there's any person who loves, what does that mean about that person? Look at verse 7. If, if, if you see anybody in life who loves people well, what does that say about them? They've been born of God. They must come from God in some way. And, and by born of God here, he means, of course, being born again of God, being spiritually born of God. And it must also mean that person knows God. That person is in a personal, intimate relationship with the God who is love. That's the only way that someone can actually be good at love. Now, we talked this morning about how sin uh, has this very nature of selfishness in it. It's the opposite of love. Love gives, sin takes. Love wants to bless another person. Sin wants to use another person for one's own advantage. And so this is why if if we as human beings are naturally selfish, if we're naturally wanting to take and use rather than give and bless, this is why in order to turn from selfish to loving, we have to be born from above. We have to be born all over again by the spiritual influence of God, And we have to enter into a face-to-face relationship with God where we learn from him how to, how to love. In fact, the same thing is true on the opposite side. If anyone does not love, that must mean that person does not know God. That person must not be born again if they don't know the first thing about how to love. Uh, so here you have God, this great sunshine of love. He's always 
sharing what he has. He's always giving. He's communicating his goodness with creation. And he's taking human beings like us, sinners, and he's lifting us into his heavenly life. He's making us born again, and he's teaching us how to become like he is, how to love like he loves through the new birth and through uh, friendship with him. And what that creates is this community, John says, where beloved people, people who share a common faith in Jesus, who are beloved to one another, learn how to love one another and therefore show that they've been with God, that they come from the Lord. Uh, do you remember uh, when the Pharisees, after they killed or after they helped kill Jesus, there were several groups that killed Jesus, Pharisees helped, uh, they were one of the parties in it. After they did that, do you remember what they uh, tried to do to the disciples in the book of Acts? We'll, we'll talk about this when we get to that series in a couple weeks, but what did they do? They tried to silence them. They tried to get him to hush. They put him in prison. They actually tried to kill him multiple times. Uh, do you remember there's this beautiful line in Acts 4 where they said, how is it that these men who are backwoods, uneducated fellas, fishermen, right, might I say, these are fishermen, how do they know God like this? How do they speak about God like this? And it says they knew that they had been with Jesus. They knew that they had been with Jesus. That's the only conclusion they could draw. This is something, after all, you can't learn from a book or from a school or from, a, you know, uh, from some intellectual exercise. You can't learn to love that way. You only learn to love by being loved, by being brought into a loving relationship with this great someone, God. And so even the Pharisees saw the disciples and said, there's only one explanation for a Christian. There's only one explanation for how crazy these folks are. They've been with Jesus. They understand him. They share his same nature. Wow. This is so, to me, this is so encouraging to think about this, that I'm called to love, and yet I can't love without God with me. And yet God in the gospel has promised not only to send me a good message here and there, he's promised himself to come and know me. He's promised to give me a new birth to where my whole spiritual DNA gets swapped from Adam to Jesus. Y'all hear the freedom of that? Uh, We were born with the spiritual DNA of Adam and Eve. How does that sound to you? Bad, totally bad, totally a wreck and a complete disaster. But in the new birth, God takes my Adam DNA and my Eve DNA, and he gives me Christ's DNA, which is this DNA of love. God the Father has always been loving Christ, his Son, and always loving the Holy Spirit, and now he's sharing it with us. Wow. That's the love from the Father. Where does love come from? Only from there. Now, secondly, in verses 9 to 11, he begins to talk about Jesus directly. And he says that it's in the Son, in Jesus Christ, that God's love gets manifested among us. That's the phrase he uses in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Now, 
That phrase, made manifest, what does that mean to you? What's the significance of that, made manifest? Part of, yep, okay. Demonstrated. Demonstrated. Made. Yep. Made known. Made known, published, right? Um, what, what's, the, uh, what's the manifest of a ship, Ryan? What, what does that refer to? It's who's on it and what's in it. Who's on it and what's in it. It's the announcement of what's there, right? Without seeing the manifest, you don't know, right, what's in it. You can't just look at a ship and be like, John's on there. Billy's on there. You have to have a list that discloses the contents. Well, think about this. In point one, we were talking about how the unseen God is love and how the unseen God is the source of all love that can ever be. If, if I'm going to love, I've got to be in touch with the unseen God. Well, how do I know exactly the contents of the love of an unseen God? How do I know how excited God has been the father excited about his son and the son excited about his father and the, the spirit just absolutely in complete joy and rapture about the father and the son. How can I know that unless he publishes a manifest? And that's what the gospel is. It's the publishing among us, among us, notice that phrase in verse 9, among us, it's the publishing of what the contents of the love of God are. Uh, have you ever used a periscope? You know what a periscope is? What is a periscope? Submarine telescope. Submarine telescope. That's a good way to put it. It helps you look up above a, a surface you can't see above, or it maybe helps you look down. You, I think you can use a periscope going down too. Um, it's using various mirrors and things to help you see what you could look up and never see, right? Because it's going above the surface and beaming down the picture to you below the surface. Uh, Jesus Christ is like that. I mean, he, he's, his life and death and resurrection is like a periscope picture of the love of God for sinners. It's also a periscope picture of the love of God within himself. Because in the giving of the Son and in the, the death of the Son on the cross, what you see there is how much the Father loves the Son. And how much the son has loved his father. He loves him so much he's willing to go to the cross to, to uh, pay the full price of his dishonored law. Oh, what love that was between the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. A love we could never have seen. But the manifest has been published. The periscope has been dropped down. And now we can see it. Uh, God sent his son into the world. So that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. Oh look at verse 10. And underline it. And highlight it. And write it down in your own personal journal. And put it on a flash card. In, you know, on your mirror in your bathroom. And write it on the doorpost of your house. This is a great verse. A banner verse. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Wow. How good are you at loving God? How good am I at loving God? Say, scale of one to ten. Where would you rank yourself? 
You don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it. Where are you at? A scale of one to ten. Right? If we're, if we're honest, none of us get very high on the scale. And even when we do have our high points, what happens? We drop back down. We have a low day, a low month, a low year. you know. And then we're hot again, and then we're cold again, and then we sink into lukewarm, and then we get scared and go back hot again. And you know. This is our love for God. And so that's why this is saying God's love is manifest in this is love, not that you loved God. The, the defining thing about love and the defining thing about Christianity is not first human beings love for the Lord and search for God and seeking God. The defining thing in Christianity is God's love for human beings and his seeking of human beings. And that seeking and saving God is what gives rise to the love that human beings are then able to give back to God. But it always starts with God's love. In fact, it tells us that uh, God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. There in verse 10. Now everybody say it with me. Propitiation. Propitiation. Okay, there's a word for you to use tomorrow. At some point, I dare you to try to work it in to a conversation. It's an unusual word. What does it mean? Propitiation means wrath is against someone. And an offering is given to turn away the wrath. That's what propitiation is. Wrath is against someone and an offering is given to that one who has wrath to turn that wrath away. It, it's, it's making up for something that has been a grievous wrongdoing. Uh, in the Bible, propitiation is associated with sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the animals were to be sacrificed and they were laid on the altar and their blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. And that mercy seat was called the seat of propitiation because the blood of the animal as the substitute for the sinner having its blood sprinkled on the altar was signifying that God was going to turn his wrath away from his people, though they deserved it. He was going to turn his wrath away and instead give them love because of the sacrifice that had been made and offered. Here it's telling us those animals were just placeholders. The ultimate sacrifice was that which Christ gave, his, the Son of God gave. He is the propitiation. Uh, he propitiated so thoroughly, we never have to propitiate God again. All that we talked about last week, about the wrath of God, all of it's true. But when you become a Christian... God's wrath hangs over you no more. Did you hear me? God's wrath hangs over you no more. You haven't changed anything about God's attitude to sin. What you've done is you've had Christ put under the wrath of God in your place. Because God loved you. In this is love. Not that you loved God because you didn't. You didn't. When he first started loving you. When he sent Christ to be the sacrifice, we didn't love him. We were enemies. And yet Christ came and died for us. Now listen, many people in this world and many people I would imagine in this room and in this church struggle to know sometimes whether God loves them. Anybody with me? It can sometimes be a struggle. There are different reasons why we struggle to know whether God loves us. 
Sometimes we're doubting God himself. Sometimes, frankly, we read about God in the Bible and we wonder whether he's just too good to be true. Can, can such a God be? Can such a God be? Sometimes we doubt God's love because we doubt ourselves. Am I really a recipient of his love? Have I really believed? Have I really repented sincerely? Uh, have I really been born again? Do I really know God? We may doubt ourselves. And sometimes we may doubt both at the same time. Perhaps the whole thing just seems too good to be true. Both who the Bible says God is and whether I am in fact a born again believing Christian. Well, I want to show you here. The remedy to doubt is not to first look inward to yourself and scrape the bottom of your soul for further evidence of your being born again or not. The remedy is to look at the manifestation of God's love in the giving of his son and his propitiating death on the cross. I'm not saying there's never a time to look at your soul and say, have I been born again? What are the signs of it? There, are, there is a time and a place for that. But I would tell you that when you are doubting and feeling like God doesn't love you, it's probably not the best time to do it. At that time, what you ought to do is go make a beeline to the cross. Get there as fast as you can get there. And behold a God who loves sinners. Behold a God who welcomes sinners. Behold God the Son who freely lays himself under the white hot wrath of God in the place of sinners. And then you'll see it, the manifest. If you throw away the manifest and try simply to scrape your soul... It'll be like trying to ask whether John is on that particular cruise ship. You'll, you'll never know, right? Unless you have the list, unless you know that he is in fact there. Go to Jesus. Because in Jesus, you don't have something unknown. You have something that has been made known by God. Something that has been published far and wide. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Go to the cross. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great Baptist pastor, once said that from any passage in the Bible, there is a road that leads to Jesus. Uh, he, said, he was speaking about, he lived in England. He said, in every English town, there's always a road somewhere in town that leads back to London. And you just got to find what road that is and start walking and you'll eventually hit London again. And he said the Bible's that way. When you read the Bible every day as a part of your growth, one of the things you ought to always be asking is, where's the road to Jesus here? Okay, don't, don't get bogged down uh, in uh, things that uh, are very helpful, very important, maybe very factually true, without trying to get as quickly to Jesus and nourish your soul on the propitiation for your sins as you can, as quickly as you can. That's, that's such an important part of Christian life. There are other parts to the Christian life, but those other parts will almost never work right unless we are feeding our assurance here. Uh, Jesus answers so many questions about God's love. He proves that God does love us. Uh, what did God do? He sent his son. Uh, who did he send? It was his only son, his dearly beloved, only begotten son. Where did he send him? He sent him into the world, this dirty, dark, sinful place. Why did he do it? So that sinners might live through him. There you have it. Many points over proven. God loves us. God loves his people. 
We can rest there. We can trust. We don't have to scrape the bottom of our souls to find more and more evidences without first taking a beeline to the cross. Love is found in the Son. Well, look in the last place this this evening at the Spirit. This is found in verses 12 and 13. He gets us to the third person of the Trinity. And here the key word is by. By. Uh, Look at verse 12. Or actually, let's back up to 11 real quick. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Okay, there he is again. No one has ever seen God. He's unseen. He's invisible. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, there's the word by, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his, capital S, spirit. He gives us his spirit. And that's how we know he's in, he's in us and we are in him. And that's how we grow in love, in loving one another. We love one another because God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, I want you to zero in for just a second at that phrase, his love is perfected in us. Okay? Another one you should underline and think about. Now, I said earlier that God's love is absolutely perfect. He's the sunshine of love. He is the source of all. His love never varies. It never changes. How can a perfect, unchanging thing be perfected? I'm scratching my head because it's confusing, right? But you need to think about it. How can the perfect love of God be perfected? This is important to to, to understand this. John? There it is. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Fruition. Um, it, uh, God's love is perfected not because it's being improved, but because it is producing its intended effect. And, and God has planned out this whole world for this one purpose, that his love for his son and for his people who are adopted in his son might be perfected in the fruit of changed lives. That at people's lives might be changed, taking them from selfishness into a life of love, just like Jesus, after his model, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as the Spirit is working that in us and making us more like Christ, God's love is in a sense being perfected because God's love is reaching its goal. It's, it's producing its intended effect. The, the sons are becoming like the father. The, the daughters are becoming like the father. As God's spirit abides in us and we begin to learn uh, intimately what our father is like and we begin to give more of ourselves over to him, he, he transforms us and changes us in this way. Uh, are sons and daughters like their parents usually? Even in ways you don't want them to be? <laughs> There's a saying, the apples don't far, fall far from the tree. Uh, now, is it nature or is it nurture that the apples don't fall far from the tree? Yes. It's got to be yes, right? 
Some things are just bred in. Some things are cultivated because of closeness to the person. And that's what this whole passage has been saying. We've been bred in, so to speak, to God's family. We've been born of God. But we also have been nurtured and are being nurtured every day by God. We know God and he knows us. We're born of him. We have new, spiritual, Jesus-driven DNA. And we also have a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled relationship with God. From both angles, God is making his sons and daughters like him. He's forming us into people who know how to love well. All the laws of the Bible. This is what Jesus said about the law of God in the Bible. All of it hangs on this. Love God, love your neighbor. Love, 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 love. Every law is just an explanation of how to love well and how not to love well. All of that is being formed in us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He takes what Christ purchased on the cross and he brings it into our lives and teaches it to us in a way that we can get it and be shaped by it. He teaches us line upon line, bit by bit, lesson by lesson, through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, through hard things in life, through good things in life. All of this are instruments in, in the Spirit's hands to take us and make us like our Father. And when that happens, the most amazing thing in all the universe, God's love gets perfected in us. God's love reaches its goal. The fruit that God intended to produce is beginning to get produced. And the Bible tells us that when God sees this, even when he sees it just starting to happen, he rejoices. He loves it because he loves us. Jesus told some stories in Luke 15 about lost things being found. Remember those stories? There's a lost sheep. One out of a hundred goes and wanders away. The shepherd leaves the 99, finds the one, and takes the one, and throws the one on his shoulders, and comes back home and throws a party. And Jesus said, So, my Father in heaven, when one sinner repents, just when, at the very beginning of this process, God throws a party in celebration for his people coming home by his love. Second story, a woman has 10 coins, she loses one. She keeps the nine in her pocket and she sweeps her house. She turns her couches over, she searches high and low, she sifts through the garbage and she finally finds the one coin lost and she calls all her friends over and they celebrate the coin. And and Jesus says, that is my father in heaven. He parties over the repentant sinner. And then the last story, the two sons, both of whom are lost, one of whom is gained, the prodigal, the one who had wandered away and wasted everything and turned his back on his dad. And it says that when his father saw him a long way off, he ran to him, threw himself on him, kissed him, killed the fattened calf, which is almost as good as a fish fry. Not quite, but almost as good. He killed the fattened calf, had a party. And Jesus said, that's my father. So think about that. If God throws a party, so to speak, in heaven, when you first repent, 
Imagine the joy of God in his children as they daily make advances in being able to love each other because they've been loved by him. Imagine when he looks down and sees us and he looks at us and sees the, the, his love becoming perfected in us. Imagine when he considers that that love came from him in all eternity. That it came to us through the work of Jesus on the cross, the son that he loved so much. And that this love is in us now by the spirit of God whom he loves dwelling right there in us. Now you might begin to see when you think about that what the Bible means when it says God rejoices over his people with singing in Zechariah or Zephaniah. He rejoices over his people with singing. He rejoices over them with love. John says God is love. God is love. And that means Everything he does, everything he is, has love in it. God's holiness is a loving holiness. God's love is a holy love. God's wrath is a loving wrath and a wrathful love. You can't ever separate love from God, ever. That's who he is what his plans are all built on that's the ultimate goal he's aiming at to see his love spread and multiplied all through this world and so you can see why as a church and as a Christian this has got to be one of the things we revisit all the time we have to always be reminding ourselves of the love of God uh, when, we're, when we're tempted to say, you know, he loves me, he loves me not, and to doubt whether God loves me, we've got to go back to the cross. We've we got to remember how it was manifested. And then we've got to call on the Holy Spirit. Help me to lead a spirit-filled life where your love is getting built into me. Take out my heart of selfishness, O oh God, and give me a heart of self-giving sacrifice. Help me to want to... Walk in the pattern of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life, who came to serve rather than to be served. <clears throat> this is a lifelong process. Uh, we've never arrived until we've gotten to heaven. Uh, as they said about the Israelites, it was easy to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It was hard to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. It's relatively easy to get us out of the land of selfishness. God makes us born again in an instant and boom, we're out of the land of selfishness. It's hard to get the selfishness out of us. It can only come by knowing him and by revisiting day after day that mercy seat and pouring our heart out before that mercy seat so that the blood can once again be sprinkled and we made clean. All right, the love of God.